You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unsolved Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning some, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So if you missed the last show, you know that I had a lot of things happening over the holiday season, and I only got through the holiday season in the last show. So now I wanted to spend some time talking about a bar mitzvah. We've talked bar mitzvah in the past a little bit. We had some good stories in some earlier shows. But I had my son's, uh, his party, we, he read from the, from the Torah. We did that last Shabbos, which happened to have been the Shabbos, the Sabbath of Sukkot. It was beautiful. It was not only beautiful, it was amazing that when everybody had to come to my sukkah, which is open to the sky, it stopped raining. So my, uh, when my wife had asked me what were my plants that was going to be raining, I said, I have no plants. I mean, I guess we could have moved into the house, but I don't know where everybody would have gone. When I planned doing things in the house, okay, you move couches here, move couches there, get rid of all the big chairs, move away the dining room table, but I hadn't done anything. No plants. But as a friend said, uh, God loves my wife, and therefore the weather cleared up, and it was really beautiful. Really, really beautiful. So, but I, I want us to think a little bit. We make a big deal. Unlike, and my son actually mentioned it when he, I had him speak uh, by day, by the bar mitzvah. Um, it's something to think about. We always talk that, in general, we want to be low-key. We try not to make a big deal about everything. Everything is, is as low-key as possible. Yes, doesn't mean we don't make parties for stuff, but, but we don't, we don't, put people on show. We don't try to walk around on show and announce to the world what's going on. Except by a bar mitzvah when a boy turns 13. Now it's a big deal. Boy turns 13. He counts for a quorum. Now everything he does counts. Now he's going to have a record in heaven. God takes into account his good deeds, his bad deeds. Right? So it, it, is, a, it is important. There's no question it's a very, very important day in a child's life. But we make a really big deal about it. And the question is, why do we make a really big deal about it? And interesting, my son said over his own story, and I found a different story. And I think if we listen to this story, it can help us understand why we make such a big deal with the Bar Mitzvah boy, and we make parties, and we make speeches, and, and the boy has to speak, and, and everyone does different things for different accomplishments and stuff. So here's a fascinating story. It's a, a pretty recent story. It's actually from January of 2021, and the story takes place somewhere. Um, I'm guessing in London, but not... Oh, it says... Uh, I'm sorry, Montreal. Not London, Montreal. Okay, for us to trade as Montreal, London. It's all far away. But in any case, um, the boy's name was Mutti Avraham. He is a 15-year-old, very talented soccer player. So in January of 2021, again in Montreal, I don't know, I'm assuming 
that they play a lot of indoor soccer because I can't imagine the weather is conducive in Montreal in January to play soccer outside. But in any case, he signed up in a municipal soccer league. So in this league, what happens is before the game starts, every player has to go in front of the referee. The referee can look him up and down and check his safety equipment, which is a nice idea. Because, again, you know, we want to make sure our children are all safe and healthy and, and have the right equipment and the equipment is put on properly. Anyways, Mutti walks up like everybody else, and he is wearing a skull cap. He's wearing a yarmulke. And the ref says to him, you can't wear that. So Mutti says, uh, says, like, why not? So the referee said, I don't have to tell you. Mutti tried to protest, but to no avail. Now, per the rules, if Mutti would have been wearing a bandana on his head with his yarmulke underneath, that would have been legal. But all he had was the yarmulke on his head, and therefore, I guess, according to some rule somewhere in the rule book, he wasn't allowed to have something on his head. Probably the rule book says something about you can't have something on your head. They probably meant like a helmet. But in any case, that's the rule. So he goes back to his coach, deciding what to do, and he decides if he can't wear the yarmulke, he's not playing. So he goes back to his coach, and he says, the referee said I have to take off my yarmulke. Now, understand, um, he was obviously the only Jewish child on this team, and actually he's the only Jewish boy in the entire league. That's just the way it happened to be. So he goes to his coach, and he says, the referee says if I wear my yarmulke, we get a red card. Um, if I get a red card, so I'm obviously out of the game, and you have to play shorthanded the whole game. Right? That's right. Playing ten against nine doesn't sound too doesn't sound like a good plan if you're trying to win a soccer game. So when the coach heard this, um, he went to speak to the referee, and the referee says that again, yeah, if that kid wears his yarmulke, he's getting a red card. Um, as the game was about to start, um, to Mutti's amazement, the coach calls the whole team over and explains to them that this boy wants to wear his yarmulke. That's a religious article. And the referee has said that if he wears it, he gets a red card. So we are all going to kneel in protest. And if need be, we forfeit the game. And the team rallied around Mutti and they said, yeah. We, he wants to stand up for his religion. He believes in his religion. We, we feel for him. We are not playing um, if that is the situation. Honestly, I'll start kneeling. Now, the other coach did not know what was going on. He sees everybody kneeling on the floor. Like He knows, obviously, they're all kneeling. There's a protest, and they'll forfeit, and he'll win. So he goes over to the other coach, and he says, what's going on? So the coach explained, this boy, Mutti, went to the referee. The referee said if he wears his yarmulke, then we get a red card. So my team is kneeling in protest, and we will forfeit the game. (laughs) When the other coach heard that, he goes back to his team, and he says, let me tell you what's going on with those guys over there. We are also going to kneel in protest. Teams are kneeling. Two coaches go over to the ref, and this ref was a pretty stubborn fellow, and they are back and forth and at it, but the referee realized that he was just going to look bad. In other words, he was not winning this argument. 
And I said, you're not a very good referee if both teams kneel and protest because of your decision. You know, one team doesn't like is one thing, but both teams. So the referee gave in, and he allowed Mati to play. Now, as I told you, this Mati obviously is a pretty good athlete because he actually scored two goals during the game. At some point towards the end of the game, so um, Mati's coach had Mati go out of the game, and he was replacing him with somebody else. Whatever, the details on that are not so clear. But on the way out, Samati says to the ref, on the way out, he says, you could try to take away my yarmulke, but you can't take away my god. Okay, very cute, very, very cutesy. But what's interesting is, um, when I was reading the story, um, there was a, uh, a statement um, quoted from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who is a famous, he's a famous writer, author. He's all over the internet. He's not alive anymore. So he said very famously, he said, non-Jews respect Jews who respect Judaism. And they are embarrassed by Jews who are embarrassed by their Judaism, which is in itself a very beautiful phrase. But again, that's really not what I wanted to talk about. What I took away from the story is that Mati was proud. Now, to be proud and stand up for your religion when it means you don't get to play takes takes pride, takes guts. you got to have a real powerful self-confidence to be able to stand up and say, I would rather not play than take off my yarmulke. That takes wherewithal. That takes amazing self-confidence. And I believe that that's what we're trying to do with a bar mitzvah boy, that when he reaches this age of bar mitzvah, we make a big deal because we want him to be proud of who he is. You should be proud. You've reached a level. You are now, I don't want to say you're now part of the Jewish people. You're born, you're part of the Jewish people. But you're part of the Jewish people, and now you count. Right? You count uh, for a quorum, you count for a minion. Um, there's uh, other things that uh, that you now count for, and, and everything you do counts, uh, whether for good, whether for bad. So I need you, the Bar Mitzvah boy, to feel proud, to feel good about who you are, and therefore, when the winds are not always blowing in your favor, that sounded poetic, um, but when things are not easy... You need to be able to stand up for who and what you believe in. And that, I believe, and it's my sense of the same message. And that's, uh, again, that's the message when we make these parties and they read the Torah publicly and everyone comes over and says, Mazel Tov, and then they come to some people make an affair in a, in a, in a hall. In my case, I made it in my sukkah. Everybody comes and they say, Mazel Tov. He was so proud. He was so happy. Um, he says to me, when well, we went Simchat Torah, so where we go at night, so it happens to be that the synagogue gives like a whole bag, like it's a, one of these like drawstring bags filled with, I don't know, cotton candy and candy and boxes and Mike and Ikes and who knows what. And all the children who come for Simchat Torah get this bag. Grandchildren can come and get, but they draw the line at Bar Mitzvah. So I said to my son, I said, Avram, are you going to be okay with this, that that you're now, even though it was only two or three days ago, but you're past the line for getting the candy. Are you okay? He wasn't sure. But on the other extreme, 
this synagogue happens to have a lot of Torah scrolls. And they try that everybody over Bar Mitzvah gets to have a Torah scroll. Now, I can't take pictures on the holidays, but if you saw his face when he was walking around holding that Torah scroll, he was so happy. He was so proud. And that's what we want to accomplish. We want that the, anybody, any, any father who has a son who's reached the age of Bar Mitzvah, we want this child to be so proud that that will, that will stick with him for life, no matter what life throws it in, what curveballs, whatever, whenever. But deep down, he will have that wherewithal to say, I am Jewish and I am proud and too bad on the rest of the world, which is really amazing. So that was the other thing happening in my house during the holiday season. And now I'm sure my wife is, she is not relaxing, trust me, after uh, the holidays and the children and the grandchildren. So today is cleanup day. So don't think I'm shirking my responsibility. It just means that when I get home, I'll have more work to do. Did a lot of stuff this morning, cleaned up, took about the sukkah, slept down the chairs, slept down the tables, um, but I wasn't allowed into the kitchen. So therefore, I can't do a lot of the cleanup work, but I'm sure when I get home, there'll be lots of things for me to do. And um, yeah, you got to get your house back in order. Because we are now at the beginning, as we talked last show a little bit, the school year now begins. The school year now begins. The holiday season is over. We don't, it's not to be teaching for one or two days during the week and then a break and then another day and then another break and then a, a day and a half and then another break. Now we're going to actually have a solid seven week um, period before we get to the next break, which is Hanukkah which is end of November this year. Very, very early, but it's, a, it's really a, a good, solid time where we can get started. And started is where this week's Torah portion begins. We are now back. And I was at Simchat Torah. We finished reading the last Torah portion. And now we roll the scroll all the way back to the beginning. And now we start with the Torah portion of Bereshis, in the beginning. Now it is interesting what the translation should be. Is again, Bereshit means in the beginning, but it should say God created the beginning because God creates time also. So it's uh, the different commentaries explain what exactly is happening in this verse because even if you read the verse, you see that it doesn't even mention some of the stuff that was created. So uh, the Rashi translates. Um, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth without all the details. There's a lot of details missing. It's a lot, a lot of details missing. But as an interesting thought for us is um, wh- why are we even bothering with this Torah portion? I mean, it's very good. I like the stories. Everybody likes stories. Now we're going to have Noah and the flood, and we're going to have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and all their trials and tribulations and the Jewish people, all very beautiful. But at the end of the day, the Torah is a law book. As I talked about in the last Torah portion with Simchat Torah, right, we're dancing not with a history book. We are dancing with God's message to us, what God wants from us, what he expects from us, how we build a relationship with God. That's what we talked about a lot in the last show. So if the purpose of the Torah is a law book and it's, it's to tell me what God wants from me, so start with the laws. You want to tell me the stories? We have oral tradition all over the place. We have the Talmud. There's 
all kinds of places where we could talk about what happened, and it doesn't have to be in the Torah. If the written Torah is meant to be a law book, let it be a law book. Tell me the rules and regulations. You want to tell me how we got to some of the rules and regulations, but why all the stories? So this is an interesting argument between different commentaries. You have Rashi and Ramban Nachmanides on top getting involved in what are we doing with this Torah portion. What's it for? So Rashi says that God is telling the world, I created the world. I can do whatever I want with it. I want to give this land to this one, this land to that one. Whatever I decide to do, God says, in my power to do. So don't argue with me. Right? That's why I say the Jewish people get the land of Israel. The Jewish people get the land of Israel. If I say the Jewish people have to wander, Jewish people have to wander. They're going to do what I tell them. Right? you got to do my rules and regulations. If I let this country take over this land, and this country take over this land, and this nation be here, and this nation here, that's what I want. So you don't get to question that concept. That's how Rashi learns. The Ramban, I think, is uh, is more in line with what's which focuses us on a lot of things that that we need to know. And that is the Torah portion is basically um, arguing on the philosophers. I can't say nowadays philosophers. I have a friend who's a philosopher, and I'm sure he has it's a certain way of thinking, but certain things, obviously, as philosophy believes, he does not. What is that? Philosophy believes, even if there is a God, and they believe in something, but that God cannot relate, or we, as people, cannot relate to that God. That God cannot, not won't. It's just not possible for that God to talk to us. Therefore, that God doesn't really care what's going on with us, right? Therefore, that if the God can't talk to us, he can't give me rules and regulations. If he can't give me rules and regulations, he can't punish me. So that's a philosophical concept that if the philosophers say, I don't know if they say if, I think they actually believe there is a higher, higher something that they're trying to get their brains to wrap around. But that higher concept, the philosophers say, cannot relate to a person. He can't talk to us, doesn't care about us, can't give us rules and regulations, can't punish us, can't reward us. That's what the philosophers believe. So along comes the Torah portion of Bereshit, and really the whole first book. This happens over and over and over again. We find God talking to people, which philosophers say is impossible. God talks to, to Adam, in this week's Torah portion, right? And says, uh, says, uh, why are you hiding? And Adam says, because I don't have clothes. I'm embarrassed. Who told you I don't have clothes? Oh, the lady, this woman you gave me, she made me eat from the tree I wasn't allowed to eat from. Okay, so God's having a conversation. And then God talks to Eve and the snake, right? Then you have next week's Torah portion with Noah and the flood. God talks to Noah, build an ark. I'm bringing a flood. Tell people to repent. If they don't repent, there's going to be a flood. Throughout. So God, first of all, God talks to people. Second of all, God rewards and punishes. Right? We, uh, Cain and Abel, right? Cain's going to get punished. And uh, there's a lot of punishment in the beginning, but Noah gets rewarded. Noah, Noah is righteous. So he's rewarded. The rest of the generation is going to die in the flood. So they're punished. 
And Abraham gets rewarded, and Isaac and Jacob, right? They're going to get the land of Israel. So, number one, God talks to us. Number two, there's reward and punishment, right? And if there's reward and punishment, and God is talk, talking to us, obviously God cares what's going on. So, therefore, this whole Torah portion is really wrapped around the, these important concepts. So it's not good enough for the Torah just to tell me that there's a bunch of rules and regulations. Because if the Torah told me there's a bunch of rules and regulations, right, a philosopher says, well, God doesn't talk to people. So somebody wrote up those rules and regulations. No, no. So we, the Torah has to go ahead and show us that, yeah, that there is, there are rules and regulations, but yeah, but, but God talks to us. And that's an important concept. And God cares about us. And that's an important concept. So that's the, that's at least Nachmanides, that's how he understands the reason why the Torah actually had to write this week's Torah portion and not just leave it to what we call the oral law. Um, interesting, by the way, the, um, the Sukkot holiday is all involved in rain. It's uh, very involved in rain. And uh, because the rain, at least in Israel, the rainy season is about to begin. And... Is discussion when should we start praying for rain? So actually, the last day of of, uh, of Sukkot really, there's two days of Simchat Torah. So the first day is when we actually start mentioning in our prayers for rain. So rain is a big deal. First of all, rain is life, right? In other words, we don't think about it that way too much. Most of us were probably grumbling the last couple of weeks with all the rain, and certainly when in Detroit with the flooding, and every time there's a major rain, you figure it's time to pull out the generator. See, I'm one of those people now I can say I pull out my generator because if you don't have a generator, you know you're going to lose power sometime during the year, and you know that you're going to be desperate to get your your fridge stuff and your freezer stuff. What do you do with it? And So uh, this year I bought a generator in that, one of those last big storms. Then, okay, thank God, we had a lot of rain over the beginning of the holidays, but but no loss of power. That was like a good thing. You know, was, I had to cut down some of my trees. So I had the guys come. It was interesting. I spoke to the, I brought down the guy in charge of the company. So he sent his workers. But the workers um, were trying to look for the easy way out. Like I told them, I said, okay, you're going to cut these trees. Like they didn't even have exact instructions, or if they did, they pretended not to. And I said, okay, you're going to cut here, you're going to cut here. And they said, how high? I said, all the way up. Oh, I don't know. I said, yeah, yeah, that's what I brought you down. You're going to cut all the way up. Now, interesting, when I'm looking at the tree that's cut way back, the power wires now leading to my house are completely away from all the trees, which is really what should be happening when the, when the DT is coming around or whatever else is coming around. you get, you got to get rid of that stuff because we, we, we need to take care of it. So rain is a big deal. So it's interesting that in this week's Torah portion, um, even though God had created everything, but it says that, that Adam, the first man, had to pray for rain. Right? It's talking to God. God cares about him. God cares about us. But God wanted Adam to pray for rain so that, so man would see that you pray to God when you need something. He makes it rain. Rain is life. And with my minute left, I want to tell you a beautiful thought, which goes back to the bar mitzvah idea. So I heard somebody mention, it's really at Semach Tzedek. He says, what's the difference between children and adults? 
children, oh, stupid mother, stupid father, I hate you, this, that, the other thing. Then you give them an ice cream, and then they're, they're, they love you again. Oh, I love you. You're the best mother ever. You're the best father ever. While adults, if uh, you have business partners or two adults, and they get into a conversation, and one insults the other, 50 years later, they're still fighting. What's the difference? So he said, really very beautiful. Think about this. Children would rather be happy than be right. So even though you did something that made me angry, but you're going to be nice to me, I can be happy, it's okay if I'm wrong. I'll be wrong, but you made me happy. Adults would rather be right than to be happy. So you can have adults out there that get into a fight with somebody and they will be miserable for the next 42 years because at least I'm right which is something to think about. Wouldn't we all rather be happy? So you're not right. What's the big deal? But as always, the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to all wonderful, wonderful... Let's try it. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our wonderful We have David and Andy in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and I'm streamcasting. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.